I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Religion Today with Martin Tanner. A weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. I've wanted to do a program like this for a long, long time. Now seems like the right time to do it. Have you ever thought about how to explain or account for some of the strange, odd, and difficult to understand accounts in the Bible. I've thought about this for years, and I certainly don't claim to have the answer to all of these, but I can, I think, offer some plausible descriptions or explanations for some of these accounts. Which ones, you might ask? Well, what about Eve being formed from Adam's rib? Why would that kind of an account be in the Bible? Was somehow Eve really created from one of Adam's ribs? What about the snake who deceives and tempts Adam and Eve? Genesis doesn't say this is Satan. It says a snake, and he's the craftiest of the animals. He's an animal. He's not a person. How could people like Adam, Seth, Enosh, Methuselah, lived to be 900-plus years, Methuselah 969. That's pretty old. How could Genesis 6, the first few verses, talk about God and man conceiving to have children? And if that story is true, where are their descendants? How do we account for that particular episode? What about... Moses and the burning bush. Why would God or the angel of God, depending on how you interpret those verses, why would he appear to Moses in a bush that was burning? Is there a meaning behind that? And if it was burning, how could it not be burned up or consumed? What about the story of Jonah being swallowed by a big fish or a whale. Could that really possibly be true, or is this just somehow an allegory? If somebody was swallowed by a fish, could they ever live? Exodus chapter 14 talks about the children of Israel departing from Egypt through the Red Sea, and there was a wall of water on either side. 
How could that happen? Miracle? Other explanation? What do you think? And then you get to Numbers chapter 22, where you have the talking donkey owned by Balaam. Do animals talk? Could they talk? Does that even make sense? Do their vocal cords even allow for such a thing to happen? Matthew chapter 27, verse 52, talks about many people being resurrected right after Jesus was resurrected. Is this true? If so, what happened to them? How did that get into the Matthew account of the resurrection? Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. Why would Lot offer his daughters to be sent out to the horrible guys uh, in the town of Sodom who would do unspeakable things to them? Why would a father do that? Does that make any sense? Was Lot's wife really turned into a pillar of salt? Does that have some kind of an explanation? And how do we account for dinosaurs, prehistoric humans, saber-toothed tigers, woolly mammoths, and so forth? We actually have fossils of them. They existed. How do they fit into the Bible and religious dogma? Maybe they were in the Garden of Eden. Maybe there's another explanation. And we're talking about the Garden of Eden. Where was it anyway? What about the earliest stories like the Tower of Babel and so forth? How could those stories be true? Well, that's what we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks here. And if you happen to have a story from the Bible that you find particularly difficult to understand or comprehend, feel free to send me an email, and I'll be happy to include it in our list here. Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com, martinstanner at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to include it. Let's jump right in and get as far through the list as we can today. I'm just going to give highlights of the potential responses. And, and again, I don't claim to have any final explanation, but I'll offer up the different possibilities that we have for each one of these discussions or issues. The first one is Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Eve formed from Adam's rib. Now, there are several possibilities. One, this is just a completely made-up story. Another one is that somehow Eve really was formed from Adam's rib. There might be a third possibility, but I'm not sure what that would be. If you look at the Jewish faith, the Jewish ideas about this is this is an allegory. Eve literally does mean mother and Adam means earth or human. And so one of the descriptions or ideas about the story of Adam and Eve is that it is an allegory for how God created humanity. Now, the problem with this for most 
Christians, Latter-day Saints included, is that there is a belief that Adam and Eve are people, individuals. And so one of the ideas also is that Adam and Eve were not just individuals, but they had names that were representative, Eve in the case of being a mother, of all subsequent mothers after her. And Adam being the word for earth or dirt or humans, which is an interesting combination, also is sort of a prototype for all to come after him. How did Adam and Eve appear? And what does it mean that Eve was taken from Adam's rib? It's interesting that the Genesis account talks about Eve as being, to use the King James Bible, a helpmeet for Adam. If you really look at the underlying Jewish word, Eve is sort of someone who is, the real Hebrew word means set against, but it doesn't have a really negative um, connotation the way that sounds in English. The best way probably to describe that is to say that who was Eve? She was somebody who was given to be with Adam by God to have a different point of view. And that's the explanation that the Bible gives for couples, man and woman. They each have a different point of view. They have a different way of approaching things. And between the two of them, they have a better way by combining their thoughts and ideas and working together than either one could come up with alone. That's the original Jewish idea for Adam and Eve in this story. Beyond that, hard to say too much about how real or not real. The only final comment I will make is that neither Brigham Young nor any other early Latter-day Saint leader that I'm aware of has ever said anything about the Eve being created from Adam's rib as being a literal story. I can't possibly see how it is. Maybe you might have such an idea. When we come back, more about the most difficult, strange, and odd narratives that we find in the Bible and how we might possibly explain them. This is Religion Today. I'm Martin Tanner. We'll be right back. Religion Today with Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. If you have a question about a Bible verse or narrative story or issue and you would like me to try to address it on this program, feel free to send me an email. I'll be happy to respond. Martin S. Tanner at gmail.com. Martin S. Tanner at gmail.com. Before we took our break, I was talking about the story of Eve being taken from Adam's rib in Genesis 2.18 as generally in Jewish and Christian thought being an allegory rather than a real story. Let's move on to the next 
story. This also this is also from Genesis. The serpent tempts Adam and Eve. How does that work? Now, if you look carefully at the Genesis account, everybody seems to impose on the Genesis story that the serpent, this is just kind of a name for Satan or the devil. But if you read the Genesis account, it clearly says that Satan, well, it clearly says snake and that this is an animal, not Satan. It says that the serpent was the most crafty in one of the translations of all the animals. It, Genesis talks about the serpent or snake that tempted Adam and Eve as being an animal, not the devil or some person-like evil. That's really interesting because in Christian thought, the serpent has always been the devil. In Jewish thought, this is also an allegory. Snakes are, with the possible exception of the brass pole, which in the Old Testament saves all those who gaze upon it, snakes are typically not highly thought of in the ancient world. They were venomous. They could kill. They were peculiar-looking and they were dreaded and feared. Hence, the idea that evil, mischief, temptation was associated with snakes is the basic idea in Jewish thought about why this creature, this animal who tempts and deceives Adam and Eve is represented in the form of a snake. Beyond that, I'm not sure what else to say because there are many who see again. This is more literal. Some who see this as just a mere story. Some who uh, find it somehow partly literal and partly allegorical. Next question. Next issue. How could people live in the book of Genesis? For example, Adam, Seth, Enosh, and Methuselah. To be, in the case of the ones I mentioned, 912 years at the youngest to 969 years, the oldest in the case of Methuselah. Is that even possible? Well, one train of thought is that this is just an exaggeration by whoever wrote the book of Genesis. Another line of thinking is that there was a mistranslation in the Septuagint, which is one of the earliest um, accounts of the Old Testament. And this would mean, if, if this mistranslation idea is true, that instead of being translated years, this should have been translated months. And if you take 969 months instead of 969 years, Methuselah would be about 80 years old, and that seems to be pretty close to what one might expect. However, there's a problem with that, because if you do the math that way and divide everything by 12, that means that people are being conceived by fathers who are very, very young. Take the time, for example, when Seth was conceived by his father, Adam, 
divide by 12, you get something that's somehow implausible. So how we can exactly reconcile that with years being a mistranslation, should have been months, is problematic at best. One of the other ideas is that time was just plain counted differently back then. And one of the ideas is that this is still before the flood. And so the rotation of the earth, the way things were counted was just different. This is a possibility, but you still in some ways wind up with the same problem with the age of Adam when he conceived Seth and and so forth. No way ultimately to reconcile that, at least not that I'm aware of. We've got time for maybe a couple of more of these issues to delve into today. Let's take Genesis 6, verses 1 through 6, where we find that the sons of God came down to the daughters of men, who they found very beautiful and attractive, and had offspring with them. And this was apparently very offensive in the sight of God. Why would such a thing happen? Now, there are stories that in the book of Enoch, which is at least in the version that we have now, kind of an apocryphal version, and it shows that their offspring were giants. They were incredibly tall and large. This is probably sort of a misreading of an allegorical statement or metaphorical statement and trying to turn it into something true. Today, for example, we might say of Abraham Lincoln or Winston Churchill or George Washington that they were giants among men because of how amazing and wonderful the things that they did happen to be. And you could, of course, say the same thing for many people in in history, but you're not really saying that they're giants that are like Goliath or something or today's tallest NBA players. It's a metaphor saying that they are very, very important and their contribution has been greater than general run-of-the-mill people. This is the general way that most scholars see the discussion of Genesis 6, 1 through 6. The idea that these wise gods came to earth and then conceived and had children and were able to teach them in ways that others weren't taught. Now, God was very unhappy with that, possibly because it thwarted the idea of coming to earth and having to live by faith and learn so much on your own. If you had someone who had been on the other side of the veil and come from heaven, that might short-circuit some of the purposes of this life, and that would be a very good reason why God might not be very happy with that particular arrangement. There are a lot of different ideas here. Now, one last story today, and that's about Moses and the burning bush. How could a bush not be consumed? We see similar things all the time today, but most people don't conflate them together. 
Joseph Smith, when he had his first vision, as the pillar of light came down to him, thought the forest was going to be consumed and he was going to be burned up, but he was amazed that it did not happen. That sounds a lot like the burning bush. Other near-death experiences see a brilliant, bright, glorious God. And for example, in the case of George Ritchie, he thought that his eyes might be burned up because it was so bright, his retinas might be burned up. But surprisingly enough, they were not. This is a similar description The analogy is just a little bit different. Instead of welder's lamps and the sun, Moses talks about a burning bush, fire, which would have been one of the brightest things of which he would know. All right, we got just five issues done today. More next week. More of these stories next week right here on Religion Today. I'm Martin Tanner. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.